Every year in Las Vegas, there's about a week where I'd suggest that you be pretty vigilant with your phones and electronic devices. You know, make sure you're up to date. Don't connect to any strange networks, or for that matter, any network that you don't own. Keep a close eye on where you plug in your stuff or where you set it down. I mean, you should be doing this stuff anyways, just to be clear. But put a little extra emphasis on it here if you can. And that week is usually sometime between the first and second weeks of August. This year, it was around the 11th to the 15th. But why would you want to do that? Well, that's because that's when the biggest gathering of hackers annually happens. Sure, it's not just hackers, I guess. It's security professionals, students, media, enthusiasts, and anyone in between. But it's big. Almost 25,000 people big. So this year, I'm taking you on a trip to Las Vegas. And we're going to talk DEF CON, where if there's a flavor of hacking that you're into, it's there. I'm John Cordes, and today I'm inviting you to join me while I talk about what the Shell DEFCON is, how it started, and some of the crazier stories that I can tell. Then, I'll close out with my own personal experience at this year's DEFCON. So let's take it back to the early 90s like most cool hacker stories seem to begin. Back when it was still kind of like the wild wild west of the internet. It was an age before social media before a lot of major forum providers and AOL chat rooms. It wasn't so much that it was hard to communicate with like-minded people at this point, it was just that it hadn't really gotten off the ground yet. The net was a fraction of the amount of users it is today, and then in that fraction you'd have an even smaller group that could actually use these special channels to talk to each other. One of the ways people did that was through chat rooms and forums tied to internet relay chats, or IRCs. You could have channels for different topics and discuss things like hacking, games, and more if you could find one. I mean, hell, I remember my first World of Warcraft clan back in 2004 or 5 had an IRC chat. So this was how people talked online if they wanted to. And one of those people was a man by the name of Jeff Moss, or as he went by online, Dark Tangent. Jeff owned and operated a whole lot of these boards, including Hacknet, Freaknet, that's with a PH, PlatinumNet, HitNet, the list keeps going. It's safe to say that he's tapped into the goings-on of the IRC chat rooms, especially in the hacking community. He was born in 1975, and it's 1992 at this point, so he's just barely moving into being considered an adult by law. But when one of his friends on PlatinumNet was moving, they wanted to throw him a going-away party. Their user was a Canadian, and his dad was moving on to a better job. So he asked Jeff to help him throw a party to say goodbye. Jeff figured that if he was going to throw a party, it might as well be one hell of a party, so he picked Vegas. He figured, at the very least, if it was a dud, he'd still be in Las Vegas and be able to have a good time. Unfortunately, the user's dad moved away to take the job early and was never heard from again. But Jeff started to plan a party already, and he was looking forward to it. It was going to happen in June of 1993, and Jeff figured he'd already invited PlatinumNet. Why not expand it out even more at this point? So he went to all those other boards, centered around hacking and exploitation and computers and technology, and told them about the party. As he tells it, he's spreading the word as far and wide as he can in hopes to get a good crowd to come in. And if you do listen to him talk about it, he'll even tell you that he faxed invitations to the Secret Service and the FBI for this hacker party. He really got in with law enforcement early, but I don't know if anyone actually showed up. All in all, about 100 people would end up showing up to what he called DEFCON. And as for the name itself, 
To explain that, I'm going to take this snippet straight from the DEFCON.org website to help explain it to you. It says, quote, The short answer about the name DEFCON is that it's a combination of places. There was a summer con in the summer, a ho-ho con in the winter, a pump con during Halloween, etc. I didn't want any association with the time of year. If you're a freak or just use your phone a lot, you'll know that DEF is number three on the phone. If you're into military lingo, DEFCON is short for defense condition. Now, being a big fan of the movie War Games, I took note that the main character, David Lightman, lived in Seattle, as I do, and chose to nuke Las Vegas with Whopper. Well, I knew I was doing a con in Vegas, so it all just kind of worked out. So all those small things kind of crossed over into each other and led to the first DEF CON in June of 1993, where that group of 100 or so hackers showed up to show off what they could do, and they had a good time doing it. Afterwards, well, Jeff started getting questions about when the next one was going to be, and that kind of surprised him, because to him, this was a one-time party. Like, what do you mean, the next one? So he stepped back, he had a bit of a think, and he talked with the group, and ultimately decided that, yeah, he could do it again. And you know what? It happened again, and this time, instead of 100, he got around 200. And the year after that, 300 until eventually it would rise to over 1,000 people in a very short amount of time. In some of the interviews he's done, one of the most amazing transformations that Jeff does talk about is how people started changing, even between the first and the fifth DEF CON. At the start, doing hacking for a job seemed pretty far-fetched, but he noted that somewhere between DEF CON 4 and 10, the feel started to change, and more and more, you would overhear discussions about people starting to do this for work and what kind of salaries they'd be making, what kind of benefits and stock options they'd get. It really started to ingrain itself that this was something you could do. And that simple one-time party that is now between 5 and 10 at this point, well, it kept blowing up and continuing to evolve the field itself, and it's continued for years. In fact, the 30th DEF CON just wrapped up a few weeks ago with 25,000 people. And while the first DEF CON may have started relatively small and focused, Eventually, as the field grew, so did the number of topics. It gave way to more modern structure like we see today. So, I want to talk about that for a second. What does DEF CON actually look like from a structure point of view? What does it look like when you want to go? Well, we've started talking about how it's Thursday to Sunday. And when you arrive on Thursday, it's safe to say that you'll probably be in some level of line just before the convention starts. You see, up until last year, DEF CON was a cash-at-the-door-only thing. And it still mostly is. Only last year did they start to offer you the ability to register for it online. And you might be thinking to yourself, why did they just do that? Aren't you guys supposed to be techie, smart? Couldn't you figure out online transactions? But I think you can hearken it back to the hacker attitude of privacy, right? DEF CON can attract a lot of people that might not want to be tracked. And to say that there is no illegal activity at a hacker conference is a bit of a big step. But while DEF CON as an entity doesn't really have any legal activity as a part of its function, it respects those that want to fly under the radar. It wasn't until people started pushing for the online pre-order that it finally started to happen. And even then, you still just had to go in and sit in your own separate line. But those lines to get the badge, the start of LineCon, as it's known internally, is a sort of rite of passage to some people, I think. Just say the word LineCon to anyone that you know who's gone to DEF CON, they'll probably sigh and reminisce about how long they were stuck in line. But there is one other way to get a DEF CON badge without doing that, and that's to go to the Black Hat Security Conference that happens just before DEF CON every year. They have an option to add a DEF CON badge, since Black Hat is kind of like the more corporate sibling to DEF CON, 
targeting the security industry. And that was also started by Jeff Moss a few years after he began DEF CON. He would eventually sell Black Hat off, but that partnership between the two conferences remains. DEF CON always occurs the weekend following Black Hat, so people often book both. Anyways, once you get through LineCon, you'll have your badge. Honestly, I think I could do a whole episode in and of itself on DEF CON badges. And maybe I'll tap my buddy Ringmaster to help me out for that one. He knows a lot more about it than I do. But badges aren't just some kind of plastic con badge like you would get at PAX or Comic-Con. These badges often have little electronic boards with puzzles built into them. And let me briefly run you through this year's, which I'll have a photo of mine on the website. When I picked up my badge, I received what looked like a white keyboard. And not the typing kind, the kind with piano keys. It has a small display on it that read, Collect the measures, break the silence, continue the journey. The badge itself? Well, it could play the piano keys as you pressed them. It had a little speaker on it, and it was touch sensitive. And on it, there were piano notes in a measure. Now the other thing to note about badges is that there's more than one kind. There's goon badges for people working there, there's human badges like the one I got, media badges, and more. All in all, there were nine different kinds of badges, each with their own measure of music on them. When you collected all nine, and by collected I mean take pictures of, or just made note of, you don't actually get more than one badge. And then you follow the instructions on one particular badge to play them in a specific order based on color, it unlocked the next level. Just finding that out took quite a bit of time for me and my group. Now let me tell you that this was just part one of a challenge. The challenge was not over after just playing these notes. All in all, there were eight more pieces of a puzzle to complete if you wanted to, and those puzzles all were based around information of a con and phone banks that were there. Like I said, I won't get into the whole thing here, but it's just to show you that you could probably spend the entire weekend doing nothing but working on your badge and still be happy. After you pick up your badge, you might want to hit some talks or a village. Let's start with talks before we go into villages, since those are pretty straightforward. DEFCON has panels and speakers just like any other professional conference. Some panels are based on specific topics with experts in their niche or on the field. For example, remember Alhazred, my last guest? Well, he was on the Red Team panel this year alongside people like popular content creators Nahamsek and John Hammond. The panels are a great way to get good stories out of these experts as they bounce off of each other and answer questions. The talks are a bit more specialized though. Here's an example. I went to one talk this year, and at that talk, a researcher walked everyone through a new way to exploit Zoom. You know, the video chat service that you probably use for work. He demonstrated live to the world how he could basically downgrade Zoom using a bug in its update on the Mac system. So he effectively dropped a zero-day vulnerability right in front of everyone, and it was pretty cool to see. You'll see talks just like this year after year, and there's so many flavor of talks to choose from that I'm sure there's something for everyone. In fact, if you want to confirm that's the case, you can actually go to media.defcon.org and sift through all the old presentations and papers that were submitted as a part of these talks. They're publicly available to look at, and there's also videos of many of them on YouTube. So we've covered talks, we covered panels, those are pretty self-explanatory, but next, let's talk about some real meat, the villages. Villages are basically hubs for a specific topic in hacking and security. They can range from women in hacking to biohacking, car hacking, and more. In fact, you know what, I'm just going to list out a lot of some of the villages that were there. We had Adversary Village, Aerospace Village, AI Village, Biohacking Village, Red Team Village, Blue Team Village, Car Hacking Village, Crypto, Data Duplication, Hardware Hacking, Internet of Things, Misinformation, Voting Machine Village, Lock Picking, 
social engineering. And I'm not even done, but I'm going to stop there. All in all, I think there are around 34 or 35 different villages for people to visit this year. And each village is anywhere from a small conference room to a full-on hall of stuff for you to look at, buy, or even play with. And it almost always has some level of hands-on things for you to do and practice your skills or demonstrate vulnerabilities. The car hacking village this year had two electric cars on site, one of which was a Tesla. There was a video demonstration of people that had hacked a Tesla to remotely do things like run a red light. The retail village had a small series of point-of-sale devices and would demonstrate hacking on retail products. Voting Machine Village laid out many different kinds of poll machines, and some even had guides that you could go to about how you would hack them. In fact, OAN, Trump's special news network, got booted from a voting hacking village apparently for kind of causing a scene, but not really. Basically, they were just filming con-goers with a GoPro for use in their media without explicit consent. And that rule is a big one. I don't think many people are going to fuss if you put a couple pictures that have con-goers in the background online, but a media outlet filming with likely the intent to use in broadcast, that does seem like it's up there for a reason to get permanently banned, especially if they're not asking for permission. In fact, that's not even a new precedent. They're not the first. Technically, NBC News is also banned from DEF CON for the very same reason. There's the biohacking village, where things are run through the lens of hacking healthcare hardware and software. We saw monitors being hacked, we saw people trying to break their way into devices that you would find next to your sick uncle. It's really insane. And if you can think about trying to hack something, anything, odds are it's probably got a place at DEF CON already. And like I said earlier, those villages, they often have some level of practical exercise to go with it as well. In the aerospace village, there were simulated satellites running actual code that you would find on satellites that you could try to break into. There were little Lego planes that would turn the turbines, and they ran software ported from real-life planes. So you could actually run code against that software, test out the infrastructure, and adjust the settings of a plane live. You could see things move, you could see the turbines go faster. Ultimately, it was a really cool exercise to show you visually what you were doing. And I think one of the coolest things was that there was an entire scaled down city where you could test your skills against the infrastructure very much like what you would find in real life with things like an electric grid, a water plant, and an airport. People were in there playing with the power to the city and the lights would turn on and off as a result or pumps would stop working for water. And this is based on actual infrastructure. It wasn't just set up as a game and super easy to hack, it was likely around the same level of difficulty that you could find somewhere in the country. I think that's enough for villages for now, because there's some other stuff that you can look at too. There's workshops and trainings now where you can go to really hone your skills. Those can be anywhere from a few hours long to a couple of days long, and get you more hands-on practice with learning in mind. The workshops are relatively low cost or free, I don't remember, and you register for them, but they're a very small crowd. Space is limited and they do sell out fast. The trainings are new. This is actually the first year they did trainings, similar to any other kind of professional training that you might be sent to, where you pay, you go in and you sit, and you have a bit more of a hammered down course. I understand that while I'm talking about it, I'm not really doing it justice, but I have pictures that I can put on my website, so I'll put them up there for reference for you. And now, we've talked about the con as a concept. I've talked about what's there, what you can do, how these simulations are really grounded in real life and active systems, but I feel like you're probably itching for some big stories. You know, why is DEF CON so notorious? 
this all sounds pretty straightforward, pretty legit. So let me take a little bit to talk about some of the higher profile things to have happened over years at DEF CON. And I'll start early and move my way forward. When I say early, I mean let's start in the last millennia. Because back in 1999 at DEF CON 7, a collective of hackers known as Cult of the Dead Cow released a kind of major Trojan called Back Orifice. It's a pretty obvious play on the phrase backdoor, but this malware targeted Windows 95 and 98 computers across the world, because that was what was in use at the time. It was typically sent out by phishing or something similar, and once opened, it allowed remote attackers across the internet to get at and execute commands on the machine. It even had persistence enough to stay on the machine after it was rebooted. Jumping forward a bit, in 2001, a man by the name of Dmitry Skliarev was arrested for stuff that he was doing allegedly while at DEF CON. He had been writing software that worked to undermine Adobe's ebook encryption format. And he wasn't doing it just for himself, he was working for his Russian-based company, Elcomsoft. Ultimately, he would end up being held for several months and released on a bail of $50,000. His crimes were, according to the case that I found against him and his company, four counts alleging circumvention offenses and aiding and abetting circumvention offenses under the DMCA and a charge of conspiracy to traffic circumvention program. Under those charges, Dimitri faced up to 25 years in prison and a fine of up to $2.25 million. And Alcom as a corporation faced a penalty of $2.52 million as well. As a part of a plea agreement that he ended up making, his charges would eventually be dropped and he could return to Russia, but he needed to testify for the US government against his employer. Now let's move up to 2008, where the nearly flawless and always functioning MBTA commuter system in Massachusetts was targeted by some MIT students in one hack as well. The students, Zach Anders, RJ Ryan, and Alessandro Chiza, created a talk called The Anatomy of a Subway Hack, where they posited questions like, do you want free subway rides for life? And went on to demonstrate ways in which the MBTA could be exploited for free rides. It was enough to upset the MBTA, who went after the students, claiming that they violated the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act by spreading information out at the con. Ultimately, what would end up happening is that the court made them hold the information privately for 10 days. But I mean, that's after the talk already happened, so the information was out there. The paper was written, and people already knew. And that same year, 2008, was home to one of the other more controversial events to ever have been booted up at DEF CON called Race to Zero. The goal of a race to zero was essentially to get around antivirus in a race for a kind of zero-day variant of an already existing malware. Basically, contestants were given a piece of malware that was detectable by most antivirus tools, and told to make it undetectable as quickly as possible. Now that kind of rightfully pissed off a lot of antivirus companies who saw this as an attempt to just spread new malware. But according to the officials, this was meant to be difficult and was less of a contest to be bad and more of a contest meant to instill faith in antivirus programs by showing just how hard it was to get around them. And I feel like it was a bit of a good intentions meet what did you expect to happen kind of thing. I can't blame them for wanting to stress the point that antivirus actually is helpful, but maybe a talk next time and not something that pokes a bee's nest of hackers. Next I want to take you to 2013 where it's not so much anything bad happened, but a kind of bizarre piece of trivia made its way into my research. Because in 2013, Will Smith went to DEF CON. Yeah, the actor, Will Smith. Apparently, Apollo Robbins, who was a master of sleight of hand and a security consultant, invited Will because he was training him for a role in an upcoming movie. 
Will only ended up showing up for a little under a half hour, but he went on to tour the event with Apollo. He got a good view of things like social engineering, and then left just a bit after arriving. A lot of the articles I found weren't super sure about what movie this was for, but from my research, I think it was a movie called Focus, where Smith plays a con man. The skills for the human side of hacking translate over to that, and Robbins has a film credit for that same movie, so I think it's safe to assume that's the one. And the last one I want to talk about is some of the recent notoriety that DEF CON has gained in being recognized as a force for awareness. Because in 2018, there was a lot to talk about in the United States, specifically a lot to talk about with regard to voting security. It was everywhere from NBC to Fox to John Oliver. Well, that year, the Voting Machine Hacking Village was awarded a Cybersecurity Excellence Award. The award was for helping to spur that dialogue and drive security for the U.S. election system. The Voting Machine Hacking Village had always had a great story to tell about election security, but it was usually in-house. The drive to get the conversation started at a larger scale had ultimately impacted our country in ways that made me very thankful. Election and voting security is a very important topic, and it's not over, it's still something that needs to be discussed annually and ongoing. Now, apart from the stories, there's one other last bit that I want to talk about, and that's exactly how transparent DEF CON is. They're brutally upfront about as transparent as can be, almost to the congoers' detriment sometimes. There's a wall of sheep where people might look for traffic that indicates usernames and passwords being sent, and then you post your loot up on the wall to kind of poke fun at people who are doing things insecurely. You don't ever want to end up there if you can help it. But beyond just the obvious fun like that, they post statistic after statistic to show you exactly what went into the con, what happened, what came out of it, and here are some of the more interesting facts that I pulled from this year's DEF CON that I thought I'd share with you. They actually present this at the end of a con. So some of these interesting things include that 12 people needed medical assistance in some way, 9 people left the con instead of opting to uphold the mask policy, 3 people were ejected from refusal to use that policy, only one news outlet was banned, and we know what that was. There were four code of conduct violations, five people had accessibility concerns, one report of verbal harassment, and one of aggressive behavior. There were five incidents of unwanted touching, and the two that were able to be identified were removed from the conference, and one predator was identified and banned from a con before it even started. And those numbers might seem kind of bleak, it might be like I'm shining a bit of a bad light on this. But to me it's a reminder that we can do better. And to do better, we need to know what's happening. I think many hackers and people in the field would agree that problems don't go away if you don't know that they're there. The same principle applies to the work, after all. They also put statistics around what kind of network usage went in, what data went in and out. All in all, over 14 terabytes of data flowed outbound, 8.6 flowed inbound. One of the other things they do is they broadcast their most advertised unknown network scene, including networks like, quote, Pwned, Big Turd, the Council of Ricks, Hack My Hat, and Pineapple underscore 2E49. Those unknown networks were probably meant for fun, like the Hack My Hat one, but some of them could have been to try to coax you into joining it for a bit of a man-in-the-middle attack, placing themselves between you and the internet to control what you see and gather data about you. All in all, DEF CON is a hub, and I think that if someone went to all 30 DEF CONs, they still wouldn't have a full picture. There's just so much. I mean it when I say I could spend an entire conference at one village and most likely end very happy. For me, my experience was crazy. I'll walk you through it a little bit briefly, 
I arrived Friday morning for DEF CON after attending Black Hat, picked up my badge relatively early, and before the doors even opened, the DEF CON merch store line was already expected to be several hours long. I opted not to even stand in it, lest I lose half my day just to that. I toured that aerospace village that we talked about, picked up one of our badges. I sat down for a bit and watched someone hack a simulated satellite before trying my hand briefly at hacking some of these LEGO airplanes. That morning I was also able to meet up with the crew that I would eventually spend most of the con with. Ringmaster, who you've probably seen me shout out I don't know how many times on Instagram. For me he's a bit of a war driving and hardware guru. I'm sure he'll hear me say this and insist that he isn't. But through him I also met Hazmat, Snow Queen, and eventually we met up with others in the community like Shelator and Alex Secure. We moved from there to retail and IoT villages, and one of the craziest things that I saw was in that area. There was someone in the back of a conference room giving people chip implants if they wanted them. And I can't imagine getting one of these chip implants in the back of a conference room hall at DEF CON. To each their own, but that was not for me. We spent the better part of that afternoon wandering from village to village checking out the contest area. And the contest area had a lot of active capture the flag activities going on at any time. In fact, I think one of the coolest things that I've ever seen happened at the contest area. Picture this. You've got two teams playing Team Fortress 2. They're just playing a shooting game, right? But behind each of those teams is a second team of people hacking in mods, trying to help them out or detriment the enemy. So effectively what you've got now is two teams on each side. You've got the hackers and the shooters, the hackers trying to empower the shooters on their side and depower the shooters on the other side, and they're just trying to win. It was a really interesting and creative way to show live demonstrations of hacking. Friday night, we hit a sticker giveaway for a community event in the chill-out area, and I still have a box full of stickers from that one. Saturday, I went on to a few different talks in the morning. I sat down to practice my soldering skills on some of the different badges from different villages I looked at. I picked up some hardware to bring home, like a Wi-Fi pineapple, and even got to sit in with that crew, plus tank, of Cyber Sector 7 for an open-source intelligence capture from a flag contest. Not only that, but on Saturday, I got to meet Jack Reciter of Darknet Diaries. That was wild to me. I could keep talking about this for days, but I'm getting ready to wrap up, and I wanted to stress one last thing. If anyone is listening and hasn't gone yet, when you do, meet people. Meet people at DEF CON. I am an introvert by nature, but over the last year of doing the show, I've met a lot of people online and befriended them. To meet some of these people in real life, have a drink with them, share our passions and hobbies, that was the best part of it. And a lot of people, I think, would agree. The talks are great, but in my opinion, the priority is people, villages, talks, workshops. That's how you get value out of DEF CON. That's not to knock the stuff at the bottom of the list, because everything there is pretty great. That's just my recommendation. The other thing is, don't be afraid to go if you're new to this stuff. DEF CON is for everyone. It might not seem like it. It might seem like you need to have some level of cred or some level of experience. Go. If you're just starting, go if you're a student. Go if you're a network guy curious in cyber or a SOC analyst that wants to do more. DEF CON is for you in some way or another as long as you look. And yeah, the parties were fun too. Anyway, I'm John Cordes. Thanks for listening to me explain what the shell DEF CON is. There's obviously still a lot to it, so take a look at it yourself. Maybe one of his years I'll meet you there. Before you go, I have some stuff that you might be interested in too. First, as always, you can join us in the Discord to talk about the show and hang out. Maybe share your DEF CON experience if you want. You can find the link to join on my website at whattheshellpod.com or in this description below. On that site, you'll also find a transcript for this week's episode with some of the pictures that I was talking about. 
And should you be interested in my other socials like Instagram and Twitter? And lastly, one of my favorite memories I now have is running into Ringmaster and seeing him wear the show's shirt in real life. To see someone else wearing my own merchandise blew my mind. So if you want to join him in that club, maybe take a look at store.whatmichellepod.com and see if there's anything you'd like there. I've got shirts, stickers, patches, and more. All right, I think I'm good for now, so I'll see you all in two weeks for the next episode.